Puzzle, puzzle. Puzzle, puzzle. Podcast. And we're rolling. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Paso Paso Podcast. This is Miles, and today we will be diving back in with one of our uh, most well-educated guests, Jessa, uh, who will introduce herself shortly, and we're so happy to have you back, and thanks for your willingness to spend time um, educating us up here in Taos about things to come, which we will get into shortly. So would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, great. Well, thank you so much, Miles, for having me back on the show. Uh, Jessica Cowdery, uh, uh, zooming in to do this uh, podcast from Los Lunas, New Mexico. And I am the um, the vice president of CHI St. Joseph's Children, and we run the largest home visiting program in the state. Um, but a big part of our work at St. Joe's is to do advocacy, uh, not just for us, but for the whole early childhood system. And, you know, now that we're at this phase of, of where we're at with developing our early childhood system, I reflect and really think, wow, I've, I've really cut my advocacy teeth on this issue. So <laughs> I have been able to get a lot of information and learn a lot about this over the past 10 years. Um, and I'm so happy to kind of share where we are and, and where we're going. Wonderful. Thank you. And uh, something I just mentioned to you before we recorded, but I'll share with those listening now, is that, um, you know, obviously from uh, meeting to know you in the past um, and doing these interviews and, and collaborating on things, um, we view you as a wealth of information and you're always right on the cusp of what's happening next in the state, um, especially as we'll discuss today when it comes to uh, le- legislature and at a recent Paso Apostle network meeting, which I will take a minute to explain because many of you who listen uh, probably know Paso Paso from this podcast. Um, I was actually connected with Paso and early childhood as a topic a few years ago and um, tasked with, you know, broadening the awareness of early childhood issues in our community. And that's where this podcast came from. However, Paso has a a very long history of being one of our state's um, wonderful networks, uh, kind of a coalition structure of people who do work in the field of early childhood, provide services, are on the ground taking care of children or helping... um, others in any way related to the topic. And so uh, in one of those recent meetings, it was brought up that, you know, hey, there's this new uh, session coming up in the state government. And um, uh, I offered to reach out to Jessa and just kind of get a preview of what you expect to be discussed, um, things that are on your mind as this begins, and really an introduction for our listeners and and those on the network who are curious to hear your take on what you expect to see happen um, this time around. Definitely. Well, you know, I, I really appreciate also the, the background on PASO. Uh, PASO PASO has been a great partner in advocating over the years. And and I think I, it was uh, someone I heard once say, New Mexico is a big little town. And, you know, we really know how to, to network and get things done for our great state of New Mexico. And and that is illustrated in the, in the collaboration uh, to get this constitutional amendment moving forward. So just to take a step back, the um, constitutional amendment, because it is an amendment, it's not just legislation or a bill, um, it's kind of been various phases. And we, the last legislative 
session, we were successful in passing the first phase, which took us 10 years. Um, <laughs> so that was the, the bulk of the time. But that first phase was the legislative advocacy. That was getting the joint resolution passed from the legislature. So I just want to give a huge shout out and really thank everybody who worked tirelessly. I know a lot of folks in the Taos community worked really hard to educate and engage with their elected officials on the issue uh, because it is multifaceted and it can be complex. But at the end of the day, we all came together and said, we think this is the right thing, so let's move it forward. So that's phase one. Phase two is, well, it's kind of two-pronged. There is we have to pass it from the voters. The voters are the ultimate deciders on whether or not to amend our state constitution to increase distribution from our land grant permanent fund, which is governed by our state constitution. Um, and that additional revenue would go to early childhood education programs and then also some to the K-12 system. So right now, and I'll get more into this later, but we are in the thick of making sure that that in and of itself is successful. Another part that is is, is important, um, but I do want to point out, is congressional approval. So New Mexico is one of the very few, if not only, states that requires Congress's approval to amend our own state constitution. And this is really grounded in antiquated um, paternalistic arrangements that was, was say, yeah, that was... <laughs> established when we became a state because we couldn't uh, be trusted with our own money. Um, but that aside, uh, Senator Heinrich and the, the federal delegation is working on moving that piece forward. So I just kind of lay that big picture out because one of the specific questions is when do we get to the nuts and bolts of how this money is going to be spent? And so, and that's the enabling legislation. And considering that we're going into a 30-day session, uh, we still have to pass the voters and get the congressional approval. The legislature, the legislators will not take up the enabling legislation until the 2024 legislative session. Um, I think it just makes sense in regards to timeline, no reason to sit down and spend all that time planning if it doesn't actually happen. Um, the other thing is it's just a 30-day session and it's going to be jam-packed. Um, so if it's okay with you, Miles, I'd like to kind of talk about this session a little bit and pivot to how early childhood will be showing up this, this year in the session. Yes, please. That'll be very uh, informative for me and those listening. Okay, great. So I, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm sure many of your listeners have caught in tidbits about our financial projections. We are going to have about $1.6 billion in new recurring revenue. And Can that I, is <laughs> tremendous. Is this related to oil and gas? I don't know where it comes from. That is an excellent question. So this is uh, new reoccurring revenue is driven uh, by more gross receipts tax um, and income tax. So this rose because there was more spending and wage growth that was anticipated. Now, I do want to put a caveat that the higher earners got more of that wage growth, which in and of itself is not equitable. I'm sure it's not a surprise, but I, I did want to mention that while wages did rise, it was a lot of the, the top earners, um, but that did have an impact on our revenue, on our budget and revenue. The other is higher uh, than average oil and gas production and prices. So it is driven by those two factors, but it it's astounding. I know we have, we rarely have this high a, a, a new 
new reoccurring funding. But again, it speaks to the roller coaster that our state is on, um, the oil and gas roller coaster, and and uh, a little bit kind of the reason, a main thrust behind our investing kids now advocacy for the constitutional amendment is to provide reliable, sustainable funding for early childhood, so that when we're in the downward swing of this roller coaster, we still have some good resources to count on for our early childhood programs. That's great. Um, and just a side thought, I know that uh, I recall from the previous session uh, in trying to encourage HDR1 uh, and support for it that there was uh, some folks who would say, oh, we don't know if this money is going to last forever, et cetera, et cetera, which is also maybe true, and they'd want to tap into it. However, it seems like this might this new bump, as you just mentioned, with the over a billion dollars, might further you know, the, at least the short-term vision of, well, we're in a really good position. We might as well move forward with some things that do shore up um, important areas of our, our state's um, growth and, uh, and communities such as early childhood. Yeah. Yeah. And what we've always tried to really share, and I think you're, you're really hitting on this, is the constitutional amendment, while it's going to be a significant inflows of funds for early childhood, it, it can't be the only one. And I am just incredibly impressed with the work of the Early Childhood Education and Care Department under the leadership of Secretary Grudginski in putting forward that vision, standing up the department in a, a year and a half is, is how long they've been working on it, give or take um, a little bit of time. And they are, are starting to present four-year budget projections to the LFC to really give a picture that while we continue to increase year over year in early childhood, uh, if we want to get to that quality, well-compensated workforce, that we desire for our children and that our children deserve, um, we need to keep building. Um, so just a little bit of, of uh, info on that. So for your listeners, one of the things that I've learned about that kind of was confusing, but I'm, I'm slowly really integrating it into my thought process, is that each, there's three different budget requests that are presented. So the department will do a budget request, the governor's office that will do a budget request, and the legislative finance committee will do a budget request. So then once those uh, entities release their budget requests, all the advocates scurry and compare and contrast to see, you know, what's coming out of the woodwork. So the budget request for the department, the Early Childhood and Education Care Department, is about $493 million. And that's because they are really digging in and just laying it all out there. This is what we need this year to keep to on the to get to the vision that we have laid out. The governor's office is, is a little bit less at 486 million and the legislative finance committee is uh, 388. Um, now the, the legislative finance committee might be tricky. If you just look at the bottom, it's about 500, but that's because they include 5K plus, which is not technically an early childhood program. But that aside, you know, um, there are increases from all of them on early childhood for this year uh, with a little bit of discrepancy. And so that's what will get ironed out during the legislative process. Um, now, I can definitely go into more of the uh, strategic strategic priorities of the department and just all the great things and, and why it is that they're really, um, you know, they've really put this well uh, fleshed out the budget proposal forward. Um, but I thought that that would be good to share. So, you know, this is kind of where we're at now, um, but there's some good plans and sort of vision that the department has to utilize this money. 
Yeah. Um, again, as we started off, you are a wealth of knowledge, and that was also very informative already. Um, and you know, we we probably have about five minutes left, um, and I would love to hear yes some of those priorities, um, as well as what you would like for our listeners to consider uh, in their involvement um, in you know in the near near term. I'm not sure you know what that all might look like, but I'd love to learn more about that. Sounds good. So, you know, the the department is really looking to the five strategic priorities are growing investment to advance a diverse and well compensated and credentialed workforce, increase quality and access, achieve equity and enhance authentic collaboration. What just impresses me so much about what the department is doing is, well, first of all, they recognize you need money to make things happen. And, you know, that I think is just so important. We have to continue to fund uh, these programs. The emphasis on diversity, equity, and inclusion is also so important because we have to have linguistically and culturally appropriate uh, uh, programming for our our little ones. Um, So, of course, this plays out in, you know, pre-K and home visiting and the FIT program in childcare. They have done tremendous work and doing cost estimates to see how much these programs actually cost. Because up until this point, there's been a gap in what families can pay and what it actually actually cost. And that just causes so much heartache and difficulty across the whole system. So they've got a very comprehensive, um, you know, movement going forward. And but there's still gaps, you know, they they stayed on their um, on their materials that 14 out of New Mexico's 33 counties would be classified as child care deserts. Wow. So they have done so much work, but there's definitely a lot to do with programmatic as well as the infrastructure development of the the uh, department itself that to continue on workforce recruitment for the whole system, quality supports, um, data integration. So there's a lot that goes into it. And I guess with that, I could pivot to how the constitutional amendment ties into all of this, um, if that sounds good. Absolutely. So I had mentioned earlier just the genius of Secretary Gaginski and her staff to do the four-year budget projection. Um, So doing some round calculations um, by fiscal year 2026, we're still going to be short about 200 million between what we're funding, you know, today versus where we want to be. Um, and the proposed constitutional amendment um, will cre- create about 130 million per year at the size of the fund today. The fund will continue to grow even with this increased distribution. Um, so that distribution will increase also. But, you know, that 130, hopefully it'll get to where we fill the gap completely with all the other sources of revenue, plus the land grant permanent fund. We will have a world-class early childhood system that will transform our state, not just for, you know, a few years, a few terms, but for generations. It's just phenomenal. This is a movement that we're building to transform our state. I'm speechless. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's sounds, phenomenal. I mean, you know, and trusting your instincts and understanding it all, but I believe you, and um, it's so welcome, and it's an it's an exciting ride to see play out. It seems like it's going. Uh, it, I, listening to you, it sounds like it's going pretty smoothly. I don't know how you feel about it at this point. Yeah, well, you know, at the end of the day, we have to pass the get legislative approval. 
in November of 2022. So this November, it's going to come quickly. Um, we are ramping up and building our, our infrastructure to have a good campaign that really gets this information out to voters. We It's always pulled high with voters. Um, so we believe it'll pass, but we're not taking anything for granted. Um, and so, yeah, it, we're in a really good position. But I, I want to just give you know a huge shout out to all the early childhood professionals across the state who are doing this work with the little ones. My son is in a home-based center in the South Valley of Albuquerque and the learning that takes place and how he's grown and developed, it cannot be understated. And that at the end of the day is, is what we're here for is to support our educators and our children and our families so that all of New Mexican, all of New Mexico can, you know, advance forward. That's beautiful. Um, in our last, uh, last time, last words here, thank you so much once again, Jessa, for your time and your knowledge and everything you bring to our community um, in educating us this way and, and all the work you do. Um, what, so some things for our listeners to keep in mind. Um, I'm not sure if it's in the next week or next couple of months. Like you said, you mentioned November. Um, HGR1, what, what can we keep in mind or what can we kind of uh, re-educate uh, our listeners and myself about moving forward to support um, positive changes for our, our community and our state? Definitely. Well, I encourage you to get involved in the campaign if you are able at any level, um, even if it's in a uh, uh, nonpartisan way. It's a, we're running a nonpartisan campaign. Um, so it's not politics, it's just policy. And so if you're able to help out and speak on behalf, we'd love for you to get involved. Um, and yeah, we just invite folks to come together and, and get this over across the finish line. Wonderful. Yeah, so I guess I'll keep an eye out myself um, on some HGR1 related uh, materials and information that I can share uh, that'll be digestible for all you listeners out there and, and also help with some action steps and also hopefully what it means if it does pass um, and we keep this momentum rolling. So lots on the horizon. And once again, Jessa, thank you so much for your time and expertise in this and um, sharing it with us today. Thank you, Miles, for all your work. Puzzle, puzzle, come this. Paso a paso <laughs> podcast.